This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. We interrupt our coverage of the Trump show and its assorted outrages to bring you the news of Rupert Murdoch stepping down as head of Fox News. The 96-year-old media magnet made the announcement yesterday, handing the reins to his eldest son, Lachlan. That's a move that media watchers have been talking about for almost a decade, but finally happened as Rupert chose his eldest son, Lachlan, to run his media empire. Murdoch's exit comes amid a rotten year for Fox News. Remember, in April, Fox News paid $787.5 million in a record defamation settlement for its hosts peddling conspiracy theories about Dominion voting systems, claiming its voting machines were rigged in favor of Joe Biden and, of course, against Donald Trump in the 2020 U.S. presidential election. Now it's still facing similar allegations in another $2.7 billion lawsuit from the voting machine company Smartmatic. Fox is also reeling from the ratings crash following the ouster of crazy Tucker Carlson after settling charges of an abusive workplace for $12 million with a former Carlson producer. Now, with all this swirling in the background, some would think that change was in order, that Lackland might be the Murdoch to pull Fox away from the gutter. Well, sorry, folks, that was James, and he left the company several years ago. Lackland is, if anything, even more strident than his father, having tilted Fox News towards the Trump train in search of greater influence and profit. So if you have any doubts, I'll read to you Murdoch's letter memo that he wrote about his retirement. And here's what it said. Dear colleagues, I am writing to let you all know that I have decided to transition to the role of Chairman Emeritus at Fox News. For my entire professional life, I have been engaged daily with news and ideas, and that will not change. But the time is right for me to take on different roles, knowing that we have truly talented teams and a passionate principal leader in Lackland who will become sole chairman of both companies. Neither excessive pride nor false humility are admirable qualities, but I am truly proud of what we have achieved collectively through the decades, and I owe much to my colleagues whose contributions to our success have sometimes been unseen outside the company, but are deeply appreciated by me. Whether the truck drivers distributing our papers, the cleaners who tail when we left the office, the assistants who support us, or the skilled operators behind the cameras or the computer code, we would be less successful and have less positive impact on society without your day-after-day dedication. Our companies are in robust health, as am I. Our opportunities far exceed our commercial challenges. We have every reason to be optimistic about the coming years. I certainly am, and plan to be here to participate in them. But the battle for the freedom of speech and ultimately the freedom of thought has never been more intense. My father firmly believed in freedom, and Lackland is absolutely committed to the cause. Self-serving bureaucracies are seeking to silence those who would question their provenance and purpose. 
Elites have open contempt for those who are not members of their rare field class. Most of the media is in cahoots with those elites peddling political narratives rather than pursuing the truth. In my new role, I can guarantee you that I will be involved every day in the contest of ideas. Our companies are communities, and I will be an active member of our community. I will be watching our broadcast with a critical eye, reading our newspapers and websites and books with much interest, and reaching out to you with thoughts, ideas, and advice. When I visit your countries and companies, you can expect to see me in the office late on a Friday afternoon. I look forward to seeing you wherever you work and whatever your responsibility. And I urge you to make the most of this great opportunity to improve the world we live in. Signed, Rupert Murdoch. After the 2020 election, Lachlan said that Fox's coverage should be a huge celebration of Donald Trump. During a pro-Trump rally, Murdoch criticized the Fox reporter for covering it in a way that was smug and obnoxious. That reporter was later fired. In its defamation lawsuit against Fox, Dominion Voting Systems specifically named Lachlan as a key figure in spreading election falsehoods. Dominion said he had, and I quote, direct involvement in broadcasting the lies about election fraud. And a few months after Joe Biden took office, Lachlan abandoned all pretense of Fox being a reasonable news outlet. Speaking at a Morgan Stanley investor conference in March of 2021, Murdoch said Fox News would act as the loyal opposition to the Biden administration. He reasoned it would be good for the company's bottom line. The main beneficiary of the Trump administration from a ratings point of view was MSNBC. And that's because they were the loyal opposition, he said. That's what our job is now with the Biden administration. And you'll see our ratings really improve from here. The rise of the eldest boy to the top of the Murdoch Mountain has been rocky, if not entertaining inspiring the HBO show Succession. Son James was in the lead for a while and attempted to moderate the tone of the company, but was wounded himself with the phone-hacking scandal involving Murdoch's United Kingdom papers. But James was always the suspect Murdoch, too liberal in his views a fan of hip-hop music and said to be embarrassed of the network's more tawdry pro uh, programming. James's decision to quit the business essentially settled the Murdoch succession plan, as it has now been confirmed by Lachlan Murdoch taking over at his father's retirement. Lachlan's ascension assures that Rupert's vision for his empire will continue, at least until his death. Rupert Murdoch was, until today, co-CEO and co-executive chairman of the businesses that he built. Lachlan now holds those titles alone. The 92-year-old Murdoch remains, he insists, in robust health and poised to retain an active role in the business, pulling strings as Chairman Emeritus. In his letter announcing his step back, he vowed to remain involved in every day in the contest of ideas. So let me bring you to this. MAGA media, however, spun an entirely different narrative and alternate reality. 
While it has largely been accepted that Lackland's politics are even for the right of his father's conservative media personalities who have spent the past few years portraying Fox News as aggressively anti-Trump, seized upon the Murdoch scion's ascension to sound the alarm bells. So for example, Newsmax has devoted over a dozen segments to the Fox founder's retirement. Throughout its coverage, the right-wing network, whose roster is stocked with Fox News cast-offs, have repeatedly suggested that the move could lead to the conservative cable giant drifting further to the left. Steve Bannon on his War Room podcast took the time to tell his fucking mentally insane listenership that Lachlan as totally woke. Which is fucking crazy, but there's no shortage of that with Steve Bannon. And if you're a fan of the HBO show Succession, all of this should sound familiar. While the comparisons don't work as neatly as one would like, James Murdoch is certainly Kendall, the boy who was supposed to be king only to have it snatched away by his father. In 2015, Rupert Murdoch named James Murdoch his successor as CEO of the 21st Century Fox, but in accompanying move naming his older brother the executive co-chairman alongside his father was reportedly a slap in the face to James, who had spent far more time on day-to-day operations than his brother Lachlan. James has been an outspoken critic of the far-right elements of his family's empire's bread-and-butter Fox News business, saying in an interview that his exit came as he became disenchanted with the company's tendency to legitimize disinformation. The left-leaning Murdoch told the New York Times in 2019 about his father, saying, We've been arguing about politics since I was a teenager. So does that make Lachlan a Roman? Well, kind of. I mean, James was the scene as a striver, a wannabe, desperately out to please in the mold of Kendall. And Lachlan, on the other hand, the left business for a while only to return. And he resembles Roman in his more casual sense of self and adoption of truly abhorrent populist politics. So it's Lachlan's name all over the Dominion lawsuit. But peddling in outrage, porn, and conspiracy, well, that's just fucking good business. And Lachlan, like Roman, is remarkably unconflicted by any of it. As for Roman's need to flash his genitalia and other strange sexual proclivities, well, the jury is still out on Lachlan, but hey, who the fuck knows? There's always time. And now for the main event. My next guest on Maya Culpa is none other than Reed Galen, co-founder of the Lincoln Project and a veteran public affairs and political commentator with more than 20 years experience. Reed has been involved in politics, in government and business at the highest levels. Galen has spent more than a decade advising Fortune 50, 100, and 1,000 companies in need of high-level counsel in the fields of strategic communications, procurement, and legislation. In addition to his private sector work, Reed has managed several high-profile ballot measure campaigns in California, Texas, and Colorado. 
before moving to the private sector, Reid served as deputy campaign manager for John McCain's presidential campaign and deputy campaign manager for Arnold Schwarzenegger's successful 2006 re-election campaign. Reid also worked on both of President George W. Bush's campaigns and served the Bush administration at both the United States Department of the Treasury and the Department of Homeland Security. As founder of the Lincoln Project, Reid has led the group's vision and created some of its most memorable attacks against Donald Trump. He is now focused on not only ridding the nation of Trump, but attempting to purge the GOP of its love affair with MAGA ideology. He joins us today to discuss the changing of the media guard as Rupert Murdoch rides off into the right-wing sunset. It's going to be just a great show, so let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Reed, we just learned that Bob Menendez, senator from New Jersey, Democrat, was just indicted along with his wife. Tell me, this is all breaking news. I understand it's a 300-page indictment. Tell me what you're hearing on the ground. Um, well, look, I, I think that they went after him a decade ago, I believe, in New Jersey, and they didn't get him. And now it seems like that they have you know, found... You know, a mar. Let's put it this way. I saw something comparing the charging document to something like what they did with Trump in Mar-a-Lago or January 6th. And so, you know, look, I think that public corruption is public corruption, regardless of party. Um, but as, as you and I were talking right before we started recording, I, I would hope he would do the honorable thing and, and resign and let the people of New Jersey and the United States Senate, uh, you know, move past this. But you know, this is a guy who I said, if he's willing to stuff half a million dollars in cash into his jacket pockets, he's probably not going to do that. Yeah, I mean, so the charging documents basically have him with corruption related offenses. And as you just said, for the second time now in 10 years now, right. prosecutors allege right in this indictment that bribes included and they showed a bunch of gold like gold bars. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is crazy right. shit. Gold bars, <laughs> right. cash, home mortgage payments, compensations, right, for a low or no-show jobs, along with a Mercedes uh, convertible. And a lot of this, they said, had to do with Egypt, that since Bob Menendez was on the foreign uh, affairs um, chairman, actually, I think, of the Foreign Relations Committee, that there were things that he was doing that involved Egypt and that the relationship with the individual from Egypt actually came through his wife, Nadine. I mean, this is really like this is so, this is like out of a fucked up soap opera. Yeah, no, it reminds me, you know, I wasn't old enough to remember it in real time, Michael, but it reminds me of that ab scam thing they did years ago, right, right? where they, they brought the congressman onto the seized boat and the guys dressed up as Arab sheikhs and everything else. But this is real world, right? He's actually doing these things. And, you know, it's it's not just the amount, but the, the litany of things that you ran through, Michael, it's the sort of depth and breadth of all of the different things that either was offered to them that they accepted or that they demanded and they got. Again, allegedly. Um, and, you know, this is one of those things, you know, look, you're a New Yorker, right? Like this is the kind of stuff that no show jobs, you right. know, mortgage payments, right? Gold bars. I mean, it's something out of a mob movie. 
Yeah, I mean, it's to be honest with you, the whole thing is absolutely crazy. And the best part is, of course, think like what bothers me the most is that Menendez is a Democrat. You know, it would have been great if there were no scandals because this election is hard enough without the scandals. And it's funny because they ignore the fact that you have George Santos who was stealing money from all over the place, lied in order to get elected, the whole bit. And nobody's talking about Santos as a comparison, so to speak. But Menendez turns around and issues a statement right after the indictment. And I think this Wednesday, he has to go in for, you know, for plea, along with um, you know, his wife. But here's his comment. Right. For years... Forces behind the scenes have repeatedly attempted to silence my voice and dig my political grave. Now, I'm going to stop for a second there and say bullshit. You dug your own fucking grave, all right? Somebody hands you a gold bullion, chances are you probably shouldn't take it. No different than Clarence Thomas getting onto a guy's private, you know, jet, uh, going off to exotic places costing over $100,000 a clip. You probably shouldn't do that, and you're probably digging your own grave. So why don't we stop with the bullshit and the you know the self-aggrandizing nonsense that they all do? And then he goes on to say, since this investigation was leaked nearly a year ago, there has been an active smear campaign of anonymous sources and innuendos to create an air of impropriety where none exists. No problem. No problem. Explain to me, because nobody in my entire life has ever paid, forget about my mortgage, paid it off. Nobody's ever even given me a mortgage payment, right? Nobody's ever handed me gold bars. Nobody's ever handed me cash. So what are the innuendos that he's referring to? And why is he saying anonymous sources? They're not anonymous any longer. You, if you read the indictment, they name them. Well, I mean, look, I think that this is, again, I think it's a testament, unfortunately, to his lack of character and to his willingness to engage in this kind of behavior, regardless of the political party. Now, I would say the political implications of this, Michael, which you indicated, are that remember, as you know, with Trump, MAGA, the whole bit, they have to make everybody as bad as him, Mm -hmm. right? Everybody has to be as corrupt and incompetent as he is, because it's the only way to level the playing field where otherwise normal people who find his behavior and everything else repellent, that they can say, well, maybe it doesn't matter anyway, right? Uh, You know, look, look at Menendez, look at Biden, crime, family, all this other stuff. And now Menendez not only being indicted, but also putting out a very, what I would call, Trump-like statement, um, you know, of, of basically calling it the deep state and all the other bullshit, um, you know, doesn't do anybody any good. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, if I'm Chuck Schumer, you know, th- there's no harm, no foul to pulling the guy off committees. Like, let him get mad, right? Let Menendez get mad. And Schumer say, look, until we fig- until the this is adjudicated, Bob, you got to, you know, you're going to sit in the back bench and we'll figure something else out. Yeah, let's not forget, he is the chair of the Foreign Relations Committee. You know, one of the things that they right. accuse him of is that the uh, Department of Agriculture in 2019 had contacted Egypt to object to it giving Menendez's contact, Hannah, Monopoly rights related to supplying halal meat 
to the United States. I mean, you know, the, the grift just goes on, including, I understand that there's also some ophthalmologist that was, and it's crazy how this shit of corruption crosses the aisle. This is what fucking crosses the aisle. Not worrying about old, you know, elder people's ability to pay for medication, you know, or uh, global warming. That shit doesn't cross the aisle. You know what crosses the aisle? Who's selling halal meat? But I'll tell you worse than even that. Some ophthalmologist uh, in Florida that was involved in some Medicare, Medicaid fraud who ended up getting like 17 years. You know what he also got? He got a pardon from Trump. So talk about, talk about crossing the aisle for corruption. Forget about, again, doing something good for the country. As long as there's some fucking corruption that somebody could make money on, like Jared or Donald or Rudy or any of these other guys that allegedly had taken money in order to obtain pardons, yeah, that's okay. I'm pretty sure Menendez must have reached out. And God knows what the hell that they offer one another. Because, you know, reaching across the aisle is, especially today, a real no-no unless somebody's getting something for it. I mean, didn't didn't Trump uh, pardon Rob Blagojevich too, the the indi- the disgraced governor of Illinois? He did. He did. Um, he yeah. also uh, pardoned. Actually, in fact, he pardoned a guy that was with me in Otisville who had just started mm. a second go around. He was what's called a repeat offender, um, but he uh, also received a pardon. And in fact. There was a lot of um, articles written claiming that they bragged about paying $3 million for that pardon. $2 million to Kushner, $1 million to Trump. You know, so it's... Well, and there were... And remember, in those final days that, you know, even guys like Matt Schlapp, right, they were being approached by these people with hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars to go into the White House and say, like, I need you to get this done for me. Some of them got done, some of them didn't. But you're right, look... He's I mean, it can't be a surprise that he's selling pardons. But let me can we just go back to one really crazy thing that about the Menendez Menendez thing? Like if someone shows up with a gold bar, Michael, like their gold finger, right? Like, isn't that like just a little too on the nose? Like, what are you going to do with it? <laughs> right. Like you put it in a safety well, deposit yeah, Well, box. you hold on to like, it because the one ha- thing. Well, that's what you do, because there's how do you, always how do you move it? Right. Like, you, uh, hold on, hold on. How do you move it? You go to 47th Street, right across the bridge or across the tunnel from him in New Jersey. (laughs) And he knows about 47th Street. Listen, anybody will buy a bar of gold. In fact, take it to a pawn shop. I mean, I watch that show Pawn Stars all the time. There are people that bring in silver uh, bars. They bring in silver coins. They put it onto a scale. You go online. You see how much an ounce of gold is worth. They give you a couple dollars less because they have to make a spread. And boom, you're in and yeah. out. It's, it's actually incredibly liquid. You know, it's not like it's easier to move gold than it is to move a diamond. You know, um, it's easier yeah. to move silver than it is to move a diamond. I mean, it's, it's incredible, you know. And listen, you're don't, getting don't spot anyone price. ever say that they didn't listen to Michael Cohen and learn something new like I did today. Yeah, 47th Street. <laughs> they buy that shit all the time. And why wouldn't they? They're manufacturers of jewelry. To manufacture jewelry, right. you need gold, right? If that's what you're making. Right. So 
Here they melt the shit down and they make it. I mean, that's what these people are on 47th Street. You know, they're artisans. They're jewelry artisans. Yeah. So let me move on away from Menendez for a second and ask you the sure. following. The far right House Republicans who you refer to as, and I'm going to quote, Chaos Caucus is on the verge mm-hmm. of shutting down the American government again, right? What yeah. do you believe is their true aim in doing so again? And why? Why? Didn't we learn the first time the damage that it caused? Um, well, let's go, let's go back a little bit. So remember that the, the first shutdown of the government was 1995. Um, that was a fight between Gingrich and Clinton. Right. Worked out badly for Gingrich in 2013. It happened again because Ted Cruz convinced a bunch of House Republicans to do it. I think it happened again in 19, but I don't remember how that got resolved. And now they're going to do it again here, Michael. And it always works out badly for the Republicans. Always, always, always. Even Mitch McConnell has said, don't do this. This works out badly for Republicans. If, and Mitch McConnell, right, like. You know, you say whatever you want about him, but like real politic is his thing. Like he knows what's good and what's bad. Why are they doing that? Look, I think, you know, Kevin McCarthy, who I've known for a long time since I went back to since I lived in California, you know, he tried to play out the string with these with these people as long as he could. He he took him 20, whatever, 16 things to get elected. Then he, you know, he got one over on him on the debt ceiling. And now they were saying, you, you know, now we're coming due. The bill, the butcher's bill is due. And this is what they're going to do. And so he tried to buy him off with impeachment, but that didn't work because he didn't really give him impeachment. He gave him these inquiries and different committees. And that's not really what they wanted. And also he knew that, like, even if you tried to impeach Biden in the House, like you're not going to get it done right on a floor vote. You're not going to get it done because there's too many, you know, soft Republicans or Republicans in Democratic districts that that aren't going to do that. They know it's a death knell for them. So I think this is a, just a temper tantrum. One, two, um, it's a reminder of how much these people like, you know, Matt Gates and all these others hate McCarthy. Right. They really hate him. And lastly, now you have Donald Trump out there saying, shut the government down so that the so the investigations and prosecutions into my malfeasance don't go forward. And so now it's not just 20 morons. It's now the MAGA Trump shutdown, right? Trump has now endorsed this. And so what's going to happen now is, you know, the the fiscal year ends at the end of the month. Um, Everybody, Democrats, Republicans, McCarthy, moderates, MAGAs, they're all saying it's going to happen. They're all saying it's going to happen. And remember that McCarthy's constituency is not the people of Bakersfield, California, where he's from, or the 200 some members he has, it's really the uber wealthy donor class and corporate America, right? That those are the two people that those are the two groups that he and they there's a lot of crossover there, obviously. So like he's stuck in a between a rock and a hard place. He's probably going to have to go get Democratic votes to get this done, which he will do, I think, ultimately. But also it will probably cost him his job. But, you know, in the ensuing chaos, again, this is just, you know, showing the fractures Michael, in the Republican Party, you know how there's always these, you know, there's always bad stories about Joe Biden. There's always like the economy's good, but what's going to happen when it collapses? Like this is Republicans in disarray, right? The fractures in the Republican Party are coming up to the surface because now you have people who, again, there are 18 Republican members of the U.S. House who live in congressional districts that Joe Biden won in 2020. They are effed royally. 
right? Because they know this is terrible for them. They're doing it and they're going to get tagged with Gates and Trump and all of the ugliness. And there are people like, you know, it's Don Bacon from uh, Omaha, Nebraska, Brian Fitzpatrick from suburban Philly, right? Mike Garcia from Northern LA County. Like these are people who like, we should not be doing this. And when they're out there on television saying that, Michael, you understand, like they understand how badly they are going to be burned by this. So let me just sort of propose something a little different because yeah, it's not going to go over well for the Republicans. I I can see Mm -hmm. that, but I propose something a little different. It's not that Mm -hmm. it just hurts Republicans. It hurts the entire country. It hurts Republicans, Democrats, independents. It hurts voters, non-voters. It hurts America. So let's remember what happened in 2019. You know what it caused? It caused the downgrading of the United States rating. So to borrow money, it now costs the U.S. government more because we are no longer the triple A plus that we used to be. Now we're a double A plus. So you pay a higher uh, percentage. This is not good for me. You're borrowing the same amount of money, but you're borrowing at a greater rate. They don't give a shit. Whatever they think that they can do to hurt Joe Biden. But you brought up an incredible point. And the point is, Trump wants this to happen. Because if the government is shut down, what does that mean? It means that there is no money within which to fund district attorney's offices, attorney general offices. All of that goes on hold, right? All of the paychecks stop. So everybody in that case stops because they're not working if they're not getting paid. Well, yeah, but also remember that all of I mean, think about this, you know, the average congressional office, you see the member of Congress and you see the people running around Capitol Hill, but they have district offices, too. Right. And that's where the little old ladies call when their Social Security check doesn't you know, show up when there's a problem with their Medicare. What we it, it's it's run of the mill, what we call constituent services, right, yep. Michael? Mm-hmm. And there are people in those offices whose job is to deal with that stuff all day, every day. So Mrs. Smith calls into, you know, the, the third district of Colorado. My Social Security check didn't call. All right. They call the Social Security Administration, say, Mrs. Smith, blah, 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 blah. None of that happens, right? None of that happens. And, you know, all but, you know, the what are considered essential functions of, let's say, the United States military, right? They stop getting paid. Congressional yep. staffers in the Capitol stop getting paid. Um, and and so all of the functions that Americans, even Republicans who claim to hate the government, rely on no longer happen, right? They, they take a break. Now, there are some that say it's going to be a 24-hour shutdown just to show, like, what that they really mean business. But, like, I don't buy it. I mean, I, I hope it's only that short because I think that, you know, it, it's good to your point, And I think it's the right one that it harms the American people. But I don't believe if you're willing to go through all this, that like they're just going to give it up on a day and a day to your point doesn't buy Trump anything. Yeah. Right. That doesn't that, that doesn't get him anything. And ultimately, look, if if the, the government will be funded, whether or not it's a day, a week, a month. Because eventually McCarthy's going to have to go to Hakeem Jeffries, the Democratic leader, yep. and say, OK, like we're going to do this backward, which is I'm going to ram this through the rules committee. You're going to do it. I'm going to do it. It's going to be a continuing resolution for 14 months or 12 months, whatever it is. And um, 
Yeah, actually, I, if I were him, I'd do it for 18 months because I don't know how that works. But the point is, like, you don't want to be doing this again next no, next September, October, right? Correct. Theoretically, nobody wants that. Um, but that's ultimately what I believe will happen. It will probably cost McCarthy his job. It will take however many votes it does to find another speaker who's willing to actually get up and do this stuff. But the truth is, to your point, Michael, like, what is the point of the Republican Party as a governing entity? Like, what do they do? Why do they exist as a governing entity? Or is it just to rule and to have power? They're obstructionists. Right? Because at this point— They're obstructionists, plain right. and simple. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just uh, that, that's, that's it. I mean, you know, I was reading in CNN. They had this on there online. And here's one of the things that they said in this article. Thursday's failed vote marked yet another blow to McCarthy, who's under pressure and has faced threats of an ouster. The, and when I, when I was talking about the failed vote, I was referring to the defense funding bill. And the defense funding bill that was derailed, it typically garners widespread bipartisan support. A sign of how even usually uncontroversial issues have become mired down in Republican infighting. I can't, you're, that's, what, that's why I didn't mean to cut you off. But your point is so well taken. What the fuck do they stand for? What are they doing? What is their goal? To burn the country down? Because that's exactly the words that came out of McCarthy's mouth. And I quote, and, 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 and I want to quote this. Yeah, go it's ahead. frustrating in the sense that I don't understand why anybody votes against bringing the idea and having the debate, McCarthy told the reporters. I mean, he's basically saying what we're saying. They want to burn the place down. But, Michael, may I curse? Of may course. I curse? Like, where the fuck has he been? These, this is what these people have always been for, right? right. They didn't vote for him because they liked him. They voted for him because they wanted all these, these concessions that they got out of him, that they extracted from him. Then, shocker of shockers, he didn't come through on most of them, and now they're pissed off. And now he's like, oh, my gosh, they just want to burn the place to the ground. Like, when was the last time Matt Gates was normal? Right. Like, tell me tell me at what point like Matt Gates was a, a thoughtful, you know, uh, legislator. Right. Went went before, you know, sat on a dais and acted like a normal human being representing a very military heavy district in Florida. Right. Like t explain to me how these 20 morons, you know, between Comer and Gosar and all of them, like they've never been normal. They've always been freaks. Right. Yeah. But he was the these were the freaks he was willing to get in bed with. And now, like, it turns out that they're, you know, Freddy Krueger. Yeah. They've always been that. Yeah. This isn't a shock. Well, can't argue with you. But since we brought up Matt Gates, let's keep on. Let's keep him in, in, as the main topic here, because Gates has played a central role in this latest fight, attacking McCarthy and publicly threatening his speakership. So my question to you, Reed, how does Gates have so much power within the party at this specific moment? Because just a year ago, one year ago, it seemed that he was headed to prison for all manner of illicit activities that he now he's taking on the Speaker of the House and trying to shut down the American government. I mean, do me a favor, discuss with my listeners how does a guy like Matt Gates manage to not only stay alive, but to grow in power? Um, I think it's it's a it's a, it's a, it's the right question. I think let me take it back a step that 
when, in, throughout history, the only time that people like Gates are able to rise through the ranks or attain any sort of power, and Marjorie Taylor Greene's the same thing, right, is because the movement, and that's what we're dealing with with Trump, this kind of authoritarian movement, is so bereft of morality and competence that otherwise awful people like Gates and Green can rise through the ranks because, one, they're willing to do anything. Two, they're willing to be absolutely loyal to the leader. And three, they have faced no sanction for it. So, like, Gates and Green live in very red districts. You know, maybe Gates loses, but I doubt it. Marjorie Taylor Greene's not going to lose her seat, right? She lives in Rome, Georgia. And so what happens is this combination of a noxious movement with the idea that, like, you know, he's been willing to say and do these things. He's happy to be the spokesperson for the other 19 morons, right? But it, he's not the only one. No, but in an he's other, not the but in a normal, You got James Comer. Right. Yeah, but you got you got too many of them. That's the problem. But Matt Gates seems to stand out amongst them all. That's really the question that I'm trying to find an answer. Because the truth, I don't know. If I had the answer, I wouldn't ask you this question. No, it's how does a fucking guy, a no talent guy like Matt Gates, manage to not just stay alive, but he's growing in power like Marjorie Toilet Green or Comer or Cruz? Because they're willing to do what's necessary to keep that 50 to 60 percent of the Republican base breathing fire to keep Trump on their side. Right. To be able to say, I'm willing to do the thing that no one else is willing to do to be the person who's raging against the wind. It's not complicated. It's not complicated. The rest of them aren't willing to do those things. Gates, like whether or not, you know, the stuff that he was theoretically accused of or accused of last year that never went to trial or never came to an indictment. This is not a guy who's ever been, you know, accused of having scruples. He's got no compunction whatsoever. And so he's the perfect icon for Trumpism, someone who has no morals, no boundaries, right? He's going to go out and say the 2020 election was stolen. He's going to say that the, you know, the government's woke. It's the deep state. Trump's being, you know, unfairly prosecuted, all these other things. And so long as he's willing to do those things and continue to say and do things that accomplish what a Trump or the, the, the leader wants, then he'll continue to rise through the ranks. I mean, remember that more than 50, I mean, remember I, that more than 50 percent of this House conference, Michael, voted not to certify the 2020 election. Right. This is not a group of good right. people to begin with. Right. I mean, I watched the other day as the House uh, Oversight Committee, led by Jim Bag Jordan, uh, had Merrick Garland uh, in the hot right. seat. And I've been there. And I tell you, it was very unimpressive. The whole, the whole time, I couldn't take, I couldn't stop watching it, not because it was impressive, not because, you know, the Republicans, like what they did with me, uh, you know, asked a single real question of him. It was all about really more like what that uh, Republican from Indiana, Veronica uh, Spratz, uh, yeah. did. She went on a five-minute tirade that you basically didn't even know what the hell she's talking about, screaming and yelling, calling the Department of Justice like the KGB. Look, you know, because we've had the conversation right. uh, both on this podcast before and offline, I have a serious problem with the DOJ. Mm-hmm. All right, I too have questions about 
um, their competency. I have questions about their um, commitment to actual following of the law. But when I attack the DOJ, I'm not attacking the institution itself. There are some really fine members of the DOJ. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I'll even be so bold as to say the vast majority of people that work at the DOJ actually do good things and want to do good things. Right. Then again, you have the others for whatever their political reasons might be, whatever their, their, whatever their personal needs are, whether it's maybe to get a seven-figure paying job like um, Robert Kazami did over at Guggenheim Partners or you know um, uh, others that ended up going to these white shoe firms getting seven-figure salaries. I have real issues with them. And they, like anybody else, need to be called out and they need to be exposed. But the problem that I have with the way that that whole hearing transpired, none of the Democrats fought the Republicans the way the Republicans were fighting Merrick Garland, fighting Joe Biden. I mean, with all due respect, and you know, I may end up running against Jerry Nadler for this congressional seat. <laughs> I mean, I'm just trying to get my wife and my daughter on board, and then I'm going for it. You know, and I have a shit ton of support. I mean, more <laughs> than you could even possibly imagine. Money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Why do you say that? I, because why, why do you say good the, luck with that? Because the family is always the hardest part to convince. Yeah, they, it, it is. And truth be told. They hate this whole world of politics. They hate, for example, like even what they just saw with Menendez. If Menendez wasn't in politics, right? Well, of course, he never would have gotten the gold bars and the cash, but he certainly wouldn't be in trouble either. I didn't see Nadler get up and turn around, smash his hand on the table like I would have, and said, this bullshit has to stop, right. all right? This man is the Attorney General of the United States of America, in fact, nobody treated Bill Barr this way, not Republicans, certainly not Democrats, even though he should have been treated much worse. You're attacking him on things that he is not involved in. Weiss is handling the case. Weiss was appointed by Donald Trump and Joe Biden and Merrick Garland did not remove him because of class, because that he is a Republican versus being a Democrat. That, to me, really shows the intent, which is to get to the truth. But Republicans don't want the truth. It's all theatrics. You need somebody like a Jamie Raskin, like a Congressman Steve Cohen, like a Dan Goldman, you know, like an Adam Schiff. Get up there, smack your fucking hand on the table and said, bullshit. This is not going to happen. You're out of fucking line. You're out of fucking line. And you're out of fucking line. And you just got to turn around and you got to fight them back because they're making a spectacle out of a fucking hearing. And, nobody, and nobody's taking any of them serious. We're not taking our elected officials seriously. We're not taking the DOJ seriously. We look at the attorney general based upon Republican statements as if he's some sort of a shady bastard, like Bill Barr was. Yeah, look, listen, I mean, this is this has always, uh, not always, let me say this. In, in the time that I've spent more time around Democrats than I have Republicans, 
this is always the thing is understanding the nature of the fight you're in and being willing to come to that fight appropriately. I think there are a few that understand it. Like I think an Eric Swalwell from California, he absolutely gets it, as you noted. And there are Eric too. Yeah, there are a few absolutely. others. Um, but they all need sort of a, a, a remediation in understanding, like when you hear bullshit, you're allowed to call it out, right? And, you know, oh, well, I don't know if Plain I, I don't know if I want to do that. No, you want to do that. You want to do that because here's the thing. It's not it's not just about you and your seat and your constituents. It is about those things. It is also understanding what the rule of law means, what decency even means. Right. If You know, and like, are you going to sit there and let them do this? And the answer is no. And you're you've got your five minutes or whatever it is. You can use it as a member however you want. It's your discretion. Right. And you should go ahead and call it out or ask the attorney general questions, you know, will elicit the right answers for the case that all everyone is trying to make or the case, you know, that, that deflates the case that Republicans are trying to make. But, you know, look, trying to get, convince rank and file Democrats to run to the sound of gunfire, metaphorically speaking, of course, mm-hmm. is sometimes difficult because they want to stay above the fray. Look, I get it. I get it. But that's not where we I are. don't. I don't. I really don't get it. Somebody starts yelling at you in the street. What are you going to do? You turn the cheek. Well, what if you what if you, you know, have no other place to go? Right. What if you're sort of trapped in a cul-de-sac? I mean, this is not a joke. You have to stand up and you have to put an end to their nonsensical theatrics yep. because it just it denigrates the office that they are elected to hold. And it basically makes America look stupid in the eyes of the world. That's how my foreign friends right now are looking at us. But I want to ask you this question, Mm -hmm. almost on like on a similar topic, because they're not just about this theatrics. Now they're talking about this impeachment inquiry. All right. So I want to talk about that for a quick Mm -hmm. moment. Reed, what's the GOP really trying to accomplish here? Literally beyond muddying Biden up in this run for 2024. What's their goal? Um, again, I think that it's it's ultimately aimed at Biden's reelection. But again, as I said earlier, it's this idea, Michael, that everybody must be equivalent. Everybody is as bad and corrupt as Trump is. Everybody's as incompetent as Trump is. And What it really is is a very cynical but well-orchestrated attempt to really get individual Americans to feel bad about the country, to get us to collectively feel bad about the country, to say none of it really matters anyway. They're all this bad. They're all corrupt. You know, don't don't look at Jared and the two billion. Don't look at Ivanka and the, the Chinese trademarks. Look at Hunter Biden and, you know, his his gun charge and Burisma because it's all equivalent. Right. It's all the same stuff. Um, it's not the same stuff, but they need it to be. They desperately need it to be. Everybody has to be that bad. Right. I mean, I don't you tell me. I mean, I don't think Trump likes anybody, Michael, let alone. I don't, does he care about America, like in the context of what it can do for him? Right. Is he proud to be an American? Probably not. Right. Would he rather be? Reed, he doesn't give a shit. Reed, he doesn't give a shit about his own kids. Right. Let me be clear about that. He certainly didn't give a shit about any of his wives. Right. Right. I mean, he cheated on Ivana with Marla. He cheated on Marla with, you know, with uh, uh, Melania. He cheated on Melania with Stormy and Karen McDougal. Right. I mean, you know, this is not a guy who cares about anyone or anything other than himself. And you're 100 percent correct. It's not what he can do for his country. 
It's what his country can do for him. That's how he sees it, because he's a narcissistic sociopath. Right. No, and, and that, that's the thing. You know, the, I saw this story um, this morning about, you know, the fa- or I guess it was maybe last night as we we're recording this about, you know, that Trump is, quote unquote, moderating on abortion. He's not moderating on abortion. Mm. He doesn't care about it. He th- he's only moderating no. on it because there are people who are looking at poll numbers in suburban Wisconsin and, and Pennsylvania going, we're going to get killed on this. We got to say something. I'm like, and they're like, well, what do you think he's changing his position? I'm like, the guy lies about everything. Two months ago, he did an interview yeah. where he took credit for getting Roe v. Wade overturned. So like, just remember, and Michael, I, I don't want to get over my skis on this, but I, I think there's a part of it where if you look at this survey that's out in out of New Hampshire today, uh, the University of New Hampshire and CNN, it's got Biden, it's got Biden up 5240. Right. Yeah. 5240. And everybody's calling that poll an outlier. Well, OK, but even if let's say it's let's say it's it's off by four points. OK, he's up 4840. Right. Um, and what it says to me is that, you know, New Hampshire's a little bit of a bellwether, right? It's a very independent minded state. But it could be that, mm-hmm. you know, by this time next year, after Trump is sitting in a courtroom multiple times, right, instead of being on the trail and he's going crazy, that Americans are just going to be it's enough already. And I sure hope that's the yeah. case, um, because, you know, again, it may I would I hope that. And, you know, we, we shouldn't we shouldn't hope. Right. Hope is not a strategy, but we should hope that maybe nope. New Hampshire is a, is a canary in the coal mine for Trump, which is they know they can't win. And, you know, as I had somebody, a guest on the Lincoln Project podcast, who said if they've been willing to plan and perpetrate January 6th, like what is it they won't do in service of their own ability, their own desire to maintain power? Right. Um, so like the next year is going to be crazy town. Um, and Trump is only going to feed that because, as you know, you can have competent. You you were a competent person around Trump, but there's only so much you can do to control the crazy, right? Eventually, the crazy is going to get loose. But I do want to turn around and say, when I was working for Trump for the ten years, mm-hmm. it was as a lawyer for a real estate branding development company, not as president of the United <laughs> right. States. That shit was handled by the likes of a Steve Bannon or a Steve Miller. Two truly deranged human beings, right. right? You know, so everybody wants to throw it on me. Well, you know, fuck you, Cohen. You know, you worked for Trump for 10 years and supported him, and then, you know, you protected him. Yeah, in a real estate capacity, in a branding capacity, not on Roe versus Wade, right. not on infrastructure, not on energy, not on climate control, not on the finances of the country, not on, you know, on overturning Dobbs. Not on Supreme Court picks. I had nothing to do with any of that. You know, so look, you know, the problem is, is just that Donald and the crew that's around him, they're just a whole group of fucked up people. For sure. But let me, let me move on and ask you this, because there was a piece in Rolling Stone magazine recently that discussed Trump's private worries about going to prison. This despite his bluster on Meet the Press, where he claimed not to think about the prospect. Do you believe when it's all said and done and he's found guilty, and I believe that he's going to be found guilty on all 91 charges, and if it's not 91, it'll be 90. But do you believe that when it's all said and done and that he's found guilty, that a judge will ultimately put him behind bars? Or 
Will the logistical realities and politics of imprisoning a former president for something, you know, more akin to, let's just say, a very, very strict home confinement scenario and not in Mar-a-Lago where he's walking around with other people? Um, It's a great question and one that I've sort of I've flip flopped on. I thought. You know, I ha- I originally thought that, yes, it would be the kind of home confinement you were discussing. Um, and then I was thinking to myself, well, maybe, you know, the Jack Smiths of the world will say, um, my job is to convict the man, right? My job is to put him on trial and get justice for the American people. You know what? I'm going to leave it up to the United States Secret Service and the Bureau of Prisons to figure out what to do with him, right? And it could be that, you know, like, um, you know, I think Noriega, had like a little prison of his own. Um, what was his name? He did in Miami. Yeah, what was that? Uh-huh. What's the Noriega had his own. Um, what's his name? The guy he had his in own uh, Padre at Miami with the guy in Colombia, the the drug lord down in Colombia, right? Like he had his El Chapo. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I mean, um, you know, they 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 built a prison for him. So I would say this is, I could see a situation where yeah, they they figure out where to put him, how to house him, right? And here's the thing: I think aside from the in confinement, which I think will drive him up a wall. Think about this too, is like, you know, he's not going to have a cell phone, right? <laughs> like he's not going to, you, you know, know, no computer, no, computer, no, no cell phone, no nothing. So the telephones, a monitor, right? So like he can say stuff if he wants, but the truth is at that point, you know, the rest of the world's going to try and move on from him. So yeah, I think that, I think they could try and figure out what to do with him. I mean, you know, in, in, you know, pre-sentencing detention, they'll, they'll, you know, I mean, I hope they put an ankle monitor on the guy. Right. Um, even with the Secret Service, um, just because that's what they would do. Maybe they did that to you. I don't know. Um, but I would venture to say that they're going to find a way, they will attempt to find a way to ensure that if he is if he is found guilty of massive federal crimes or in Georgia state crimes, um, that he is treated like other, you know, other um, convicted people. Right. I mean, look, the French, the Israelis. Right. They put people they put pr- politicians in prison all the time, you know. Illinois, Louisiana, New York, New Jersey, right? Like they put people in prison all the time. So like this isn't unusual. Yeah, it's not unusual if you group the president of the United States with a politician. Don't forget, when I was at Otisville, I had State Senator Dean Skelos with me. Right. uh, You know, at the time. Uh, Here's the difference. And look, nothing would bring me... I don't want to say pleasure, but satisfaction. Mm-hmm. If he is found guilty, to know that he went through the process as I did, all right, uh, and that he ultimately wore those horribly uncomfortable jumpsuit until he was fitted with regular pants and somebody else's T-shirt and socks and <laughs> underwear and all that crap. It would give me a sense of satisfaction that he has now been held accountable for the first time in his life. But I'll tell you what scares the shit out of me. What makes Donald Trump different than these other politicians? Skelos, Blagojevich, Mm -hmm. even Noriega. They were never debriefed on United States national security top secret information. And while... I understand that it will be four years, right, since he received his last briefing. 
I still believe that the information that he received is vital to the national security of the United States of America. And I care more about you. I care more about the American people, this country, our safety, than I do about that satisfaction on seeing Trump held accountable. So the way I see it, if I was in charge and I was making a decision, as much as I would love to see him with his, you know, <laughs> sleeping on a bed that's literally, you know, 20 inches long, uh, you know, wide, um, that's, you know, has a, a one inch mattress, I will tell you, um, I'm concerned about the national security of this country more than that satisfaction. And I would rather see him in a very strict home confinement scenario that he has to pay for than I would knowing that he's in some federal correctional institution, Rikers Island or, you know, Georgia, you know, because those are state charges, some Georgia, you know, Fulton County prison. That's just me personally. Well, I would say this not to be um, too cynical or overly realistic is my guess is Michael is whatever it is he had to tell somebody he's already either told them sent them told Jared to tell them right hopefully he's got a terrible memory so there's a lot of stuff he can't remember hopefully the feds you know got back whatever it is they they tried to pick up at at Mar-a-Lago or Bedminster my fear is that you know the stuff that was locked in his head probably pales in comparison to whatever Kushner put on a flash drive before he left the West Wing. Yeah, you're probably right about that. But not to be overly cautious, I'd rather not take that chance. Uh, you know, I th- that you're absolutely right. You know, you're absolutely I don't right. think I don't think any of the documents that were there have anything to do with the nuclear codes, where potential um, silos are located, any new top military uh, equipment that's in, uh, you know, in um, right now development. You know, I I would rather not take that risk because, and I say this often and people laugh, though I'm not trying to be funny, Trump would sell that information for a bag of tuna and a book of stamps (laughs) without any hesitation. I have no doubt about it. I do also want, yeah, trust me, trust me, I guarantee you he would. But let me ask you this then for a quick sec. I want to go back to Kevin McCarthy for a second because the more I think about him, I mean, this fucker is playing with fire. And he's playing with fire with all of these far-right Republicans as he tries to acquiesce to their needs. I mean, this is a guy who understands that it only takes one person to remove him from the speakership. So what happens, though, if McCarthy is actually removed as speaker? Who's waiting in the wings to take his place? And what does that possibly look like? Well, you would think that it would be Steve Scalise, who's currently the majority leader, the second ranking Republican. Um, He is contending with cancer. uh, So he has got, uh, you know, I think he's already had his first round of chemo. And, and, you know, I don't know what his treatment protocols look like. But my guess is he's going to be in pretty rough shape. So, you know, it very well could be a... um, uh, what's her name from uh, from upstate New York? Uh, what's her name? You know who I'm talking about. Oh, Elise Stefanik. Elise Stefanik. Stefanik seems to me to be the kind of person who has some bona fides with the quote-unquote normal crowd 
and has gone full MAGA, you know, in support of Trump. So it wouldn't surprise yep. me if she's ultimately the choice, which is really what I think, you know, she's always been dreaming of, uh, is that, you know, she would somehow rise through the ranks. And that's what you look. She's she's the third ranking person in the conference. You don't hear her defending McCarthy. Right. Like you don't hear her out there going, no, guys, we got to get behind Kevin. Right. Frankly, you don't hear that from Scalise right. either. So, he, you know, look, he's a man without a country. Um, you know, the, the White House is going to let him swing. The Senate's going to let him swing. And who takes over? Again, whoever it is, it doesn't matter. will be a mess because those same people who made all these demands of McCarthy that he was happy to say yes to to get the job, they'll do to the next person, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Yeah, they 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 have only they know only one song they know only one road and this is the road that they take. Right. But I want to switch gears for a second because you talk about Rupert Murdoch stepping down from his post as head of News Corp and Fox News in particular. You did that, I think, on uh, Lincoln Project. Mm-hmm. Does this signal in change of leadership? Does it signal any change in the direction for Fox? Or do you think that it will remain, you know, as you've called it, uh, and Lincoln Project has called it, an extremist MAGA propaganda factory? What do you think happens with, you know, with uh, Lachlan, right? Um, I mean, this is like the television show Succession, Mm -hmm. because I think it's Lachlan who is going to be taking over. Uh, So... It's important to read carefully the statement that that Rupert put out, which it which is Rupert said, I'm not going to be the CEO anymore. I'm not going to be the chairman. I'm going to be chairman emeritus. But that doesn't mean I'm going anywhere. You'll still you should still expect to see me in the office late on a Friday. So, you know, I I don't think that Rupert's influence is going to diminish any um, until he, you know, shakes off the mortal coil. And Lachlan will be, you know, trying desperately to, you know, stake his claim because just like in succession, the other siblings are going to be like, you know, maybe they're not going to sell to a to an, you know, an odd, you know, Swede or Norwegian, whatever it was in the show. But, you know, mm-hmm. at some point, you know, the other the other siblings are going to be like, I want out of this. I want my money. Um, and so I don't think anything's markedly going to change between now and 2024, which for me is the is the window that matters. Um, I think, you know, I don't know what the reasons were, um, but it doesn't sound like Rupert's really going very far. Well, yes, I agree with that. They're going to stay certainly right of center. But from folks who I know that are at the New York Post, they are not supporting Trump. In fact, the Post has been more supportive of DeSantis than they have been of Trump. My question I really want to ask you because I don't know the answer to this. What do you know about Lachlan? I mean, besides the parlance of succession, that he's the eldest son, mm-hmm. um, does he share his father's political views? Or do you think that he's even farther right and prone to conspiracy theories than his father? You know, I don't know that much about him. I haven't spent much time. I know that James, I believe his younger brother, uh, got out yes. when the getting was good, right? Because they, he and his wife, I think, were very. Uh, they didn't. They well, did liberal. Yeah, they, yeah. They didn't want to be. They didn't want to be part of it anymore. They didn't want to be responsible for it. So I would say this again, just looking at it in the context of the the next you know year. 
Um, maybe they're not for Trump, but let's be clear. DeSantis is a dead man walking as far as a presidential candidate's concerned. Mm-hmm. So, like, he ain't going to be the guy. Will they go to Nikki Haley? Will they go to Tim Scott? You know, whoever it is, they're going to go wherever the ratings are. Um, and if they believe that Trump is the le- is the way to ratings and the insanity is the way to ratings, that's where they'll say. I mean, look, it's even if they're not Trump. I mean, you, you listen to some of the things that that uh, crazy Gutfeld says on the five or Jesse mm-hmm. Waters says, you know, anytime he opens his mouth like this is not like a place that's moderating. Right. Like, well, they're, that's true. They're, they're just that's they're, they're, true. They're transgressive by nature. And they know they have to be that because that's what their audience wants. Well, that's true. But you'll also notice that there are a series of um, of hosts on Fox News programs that go head to head with the Jesse Waters of the world and go very strong against um, the guests where they really put them on, you know, on trial and they hold their feet to the fire. Sometimes you think that you're watching CNN or MSNBC. <laughs> so they do allow their hosts a lot of leeway, but you are a thousand percent correct that they're going to go where their audience is at at least 80% of the time. Right. Yeah. And so I, yeah. I don't know enough so about me- Lachlan to, be, to make a more state- bigger statement than that. So let me ask you this then, because it seems that in the run-up to the election, the main drag on Biden, mm. the only one, is his age and the perception that he's unfit for a second term because of his age. Now, in a recent ad, the Lincoln Project is saying that his age is actually an asset. Could you do my, my listeners a big favor? Explain how so. Let me back up a little bit. I mean, the, the thing about Biden is this is a man who has met his moment multiple times um, in the last three or four years. Right. He when when the Democratic Party needed an alternative to Bernie Sanders in March of 2020. Right. He was there and he was willing to carry the mantle of the Democratic Party through 2020. And he was he he succeeded when the country was in crisis Right. Remember, we were still in deep covid when Biden took office. Right. And he did the things necessary to make sure that the you know vaccines got deployed and money got to people that needed it, um, that he was mm-hmm. there when Russia invaded Ukraine. Right. Europe looked back across the Atlantic and Joe Biden was standing there saying, I'm here and I'm not going anywhere. Right. And now he has led the country back with decency to the extent that stability is a real realistic aspiration in our lives at this point. Right. He has been competent. He has been confident. And from my perspective, the reason why he has been able to do all of the things he's been able to do is because of the length of his service. Because he has seen everything. Mm-hmm. He has been part of everything. I mean, you talk about his age. I mean, Michael, let me ask you this. He's either a doddering old man or he's a Marxist mastermind. Like, which is it? Right? Right. <laughs> I mean, t- tell me which one it is. I mean, is he, is he 80 years old? He is. Okay. You know what? Take that as this is what it is. Because you know what? It ain't going to change. He is still the man who at the at the at the at the – State of the Union address earlier this year 
standing on the dais in front of the country and the world, recognized an opportunity to mm-hmm. box the Republican conference and the Republican Party in on cuts to Social Security and Medicare and was able to do it on the fly. Okay? In my mind, if you're able to do that in that moment, in that setting, only someone who'd been there so many times, who had had such experience in that, could recognize the opportunity that was before him and take full advantage of it in the moment. Right. Now, is he 80? Let's also not, yeah, let's also not forget. Yeah, exactly. Is he 80? Yes. He, also, he actually also is the guy who's on a bicycle when the other guy, who's only two and a half years younger, has his fat ass in a golf cart being schlepped around. Instead of walking the course. Right. So, you know, I, I don't I love when they want to just attack Joe Biden. He's old. He's old. Donald's only two and a half years younger and in terrible shape. <laughs> right. But I do. But I want to just add to that question for a second, sure. because a lot of Democrats who I speak to and they are diehard Democrats. Right. They're concerned about voting for Joe Biden and not because of Joe Biden's age. But well, yes, because of his age. And the fear that if he dies while in office, Kamala Harris becomes president. There is a hatred for this woman that I don't understand. Do they hate her because she's black? Do they hate her because she's married to a Jewish guy, a white Jewish guy? What the fuck is it about her that they constantly equate her to having Hillary Clinton disease that she just cannot attach herself to anybody and people just generally dislike her um well one i think it's the office i think the office of vice president is as john adams our first vice president said is the worst human institution ever created (laughs) right it's a terrible job um remember that when joe biden was vice president everybody thought he was a gaffe machine who had no business being you know, a heartbeat away from the presidency. Um, they said the same about Al Gore and George H.W. Bush. Like, this is not, you know, Cheney's maybe the only one, but that's, you know, that was a whole different thing. Um, so I think that's part of it. I think also, you know, I hear the same thing. I'm confused by it. Um, you know, and I, this is what I say to people when they say that to me. I say, one, we don't know that that's going to happen, so we shouldn't assume it's going to. And secondly, if it does happen, and Michael, I say this as a former lifelong Republican, right, up until 2016. Ask yourself this question. When Kamala Harris, if she were to take over the presidency because of, of something awful, would she get up in the morning and, and try and do the best thing for the United States and its 330 million people? Right. Or would she try and do the worst thing for 330 million people? Would she go into the office every day and say, what can I do to destroy the norms and institutions of America? Or would she say, what is it I have to do in this moment? And I got to be honest with you, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt. And this is, let me just say this to all of those people. Joe Biden is going to be the Democratic nominee. He is the president of the United States. It's time to get over yourselves. Start doing the work because it's not about you. And it's not even about Joe Biden. It's about the goddamn country. Get your shit together, get in line, and say, we have a seminal and binary choice 13 months hence. Are, is the American experiment yeah. going to continue, or are we going to descend into darkness the likes of which we can't imagine? This is not complicated, Michael, and people need to get over themselves. You know, you bring up such a great point, and it's one I'm going to now start to use. Assuming that Joe Biden bailed out, and he said, 
I'm only bailing out if Kamala Harris is the nominee. And the question becomes, who do you vote for, Donald Trump or Kamala Harris? You're 100% correct. Every day she's waking up and thinking, what can I do to benefit this country versus Trump, who's literally calling for the termination of the Constitution? He did this even a year ago on his untruth social. He's calling for the termination. He, he wants to rewrite the Constitution of the United States of America. First of all, this fucking idiot, what's he going to do on the back of, a, of, of toilet paper and crayon? <laughs> on the back of top secret information, he's going to, in crayon, write up the Constitution? Right. Do you know what he wants to do in terms of rewriting the Constitution? He wants to get rid of the legislative branch, the power that's conferred by our, tri our tripartite system. He wants to get rid of the tripartite system altogether, get rid of the power that's in bestowed to the legislative and to the judiciary, and put all the power in the hands of the executive branch, meaning him, yeah. thereby making him the king, the Fuhrer, the supreme leader, the monarch, whatever it is that he wants to call himself, the ruler. That's what he wants to do. So how could you, your point is so well taken, Reed. How could anybody confuse the two? Yeah, doesn't seem complicated to me. Yeah, not to me either, my friend. Well, look, the hour goes by really, really quickly here. You know, actually, I have one last question for you, because I think you're a great prognosticator of <laughs> oh God, don't elections. Don't do that to me. <laughs> I, 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 I have no choice. Reed, I have no choice. And by the way, one of the problems is if Donald Trump ever was bestowed that type of power, rest assured, Reed, you... And me and Tara Setmayer and Rick Wilson and all the folks from the New York Times. And even uh, Mark and Milley. CNN. Mark Milley in the, in the Atlantic Mark already Milley. said, I'll be, you know, I'll be on right, the list. So you saw that. So Mark Milley's talking about how Donald Trump will jail people um, out of, you know, vengeance and retribution, which he himself has said. I've already experienced it. Right. I've already experienced being the first political prisoner held by my own country because I wouldn't waive my First Amendment constitutional rights. And I have that case on appeal. But we'll go into that a whole nother time. But I want to ask you this really, really fast. Mm -hmm. So if the campaign ultimately becomes Biden versus Trump once again, and he's either, meaning Trump is either in the middle of trial or potentially even sitting in prison, the election might still be close. Yeah. My question to you is, do you think that Biden is truly this vulnerable? Um, or do you think it's just, it's just media you know, stirring up shit so that they could attract more eyeballs and more advertising dollars and so on? Um, I do believe the media is complicit in a lot of this. I do think it will be closer than we hope. And I hope I'm wrong about that. Right. I hope it's a blowout. Um, but I, I think that what aside from the fact that the, the president has done a good job, and I do believe that there are more Americans who believe in decency and democracy than those who don't, even, especially in the states where the Electoral College will matter, um, is I think look what happens when CNN had Trump on that town hall. Right. Or when <laughs> Kristen Welker yep. had 
Trump on on Meet the Press last Sunday Meet the as press. we're recording yep. this, which is not we can't imagine why they would give this guy a mainstream platform. But there's also the sort of re boomerang effect of or maybe it's not the, maybe the alarm clock effect of reminding otherwise normal Americans like, oh, God, he's really still here and he's really going to do this. Right. And so I think as we get closer and closer to the primaries, right, which will then be mixed with his trials, I think you will start to see, you know, normal, middle of the road, middle class, you know, a lot of, you know, otherwise maybe white voters who went to Trump previously start to to peel off of him and go to Biden because they're like, I just maybe I don't agree with him. Maybe I've never voted for a Democrat, but I just can't handle this anymore. Yeah, enough is enough. Well, Reed, thank you so much. Thank Lincoln Project and all that you do, because like what I do on Political Beatdown or here on Mea Culpa, I'm trying to create this community and we're, we're succeeding. Um, I want to create this community where it's fact based, no more innuendo, nothing but the facts, nothing but the truth and ensure that your prediction is actually inaccurate. I do want to see a massive blue wave, similar to like what happened in the midterms, but I want to see it even bigger. And I want to see a massive blowout because the only way that we destroy Trumpism and this MAGA mania is to beat the shit out of them at the polls and ensure that all of the MAGA maniacs are voted out of office and more centrist people. I don't care if you're right of center. I don't care if you're left of center. Just be in that, just be in that zone. Right. That's my hope. Right. So, Reed, thank you for no. everything that you guys are doing. Keep it up. Do not stop because election time is coming. We wouldn't know how. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, my brother. And now for today's mea culpa. In thinking about the retirement of Rupert Murdoch, I can't help but wonder how Murdoch has destroyed his legacy. Let's be clear, he will be remembered ultimately not for his seven decades of activity, but his turning around to the Wall Street Journal or anything other than that of Fox News. Founder Roger Ailes, the evil gremlin who created the basis for the network, was as paranoid and insane as his viewers. But Murdoch tried to hold himself above the insanity, which is actually worse in my book. It's one thing to be a true believer. It's another to milk that insanity, that hate for profit while helping fracture any sense of civility left in our society. Murdoch will be remembered for what he helped unleash. He saw what was out there and gave people what they wanted. But instead of holding up a mirror and reflecting those views, he actually fed them after midnight, peddling all manners of bullshit. The poison that is Fox News is a shameful national tragedy. It's what people outside America believe is the national voice. He created a nation of imbeciles, motor mouth morons who hate before they think. So Rupert, hey, fuck you and thanks for that. Oh, and thanks for Donald fucking Trump too, because there will be no putting this back in the bottle. So let's all hope that Lackland doesn't take us even further to the brink. But we already know what's going to happen, don't we? I mean, I certainly do. I believe that Lackland will be his father and nothing more. And that all that he will continue to care about is profitability. And as always, thanks for listening. 
Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. Written by Jimmy Jelinek. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustad, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa, nothing but the truth.